philosophers down throughout the ages have debated about what truth actually is, how it relates to the world we live in. Um, philosophy itself is a, a search for truth, and the scientists say that they're also in search of truth, which is a totally different discipline. Uh, scientists seek to understand how the laws of nature operate, how they interact with each other, and they're also in search for truth. Now, we're said to live in an age of science and reason. But science and reason sometimes only have very little to work with uh, and to arrive at that truth. And sometimes uh, science as a, a pathway to ultimate truth is a very debatable pursuit. Scientists often, have to, often find themselves trying to or having to fill in holes or gaps in their knowledge um, and hope that the proof will somehow come out later. Let's give you an example, a simple example of that is the, uh, this advice that we're getting about wearing masks or not. You will notice that uh, going back weeks and weeks, uh, the governments of the world, uh, the Western governments at least, uh, were saying no need to wear a mask, there's no, there's no problem. Well, uh, weeks and weeks later, <clears throat> Um, now that they've found out some other information that about 50% of, of people that have this virus don't show any symptoms, which means they're going around the public interacting with everyone and, uh, and spreading the, uh, this, this germ. Um, they don't have symptoms, they're spreading it around. And now all of a sudden they're having second thoughts about whether to wear a mask or not. A big example, one that uh, always strikes me as a, as a good example of scientists having trying to uh, find out the truth but then having to fill in big holes because they don't have the information, uh, is the theory of dark energy and dark matter. Now, uh, stay with me here because the example I think is a good one. A while ago, astronomers, you know those guys with the, with the big telescopes that are looking out into the, uh, the Milky Way and uh, into the, uh, the distances, the vast uh, reaches of the universe, noticed um, the way the galaxies and stars were moving around, were circling uh, around. And for some reason, those movements didn't fit their calculations. Something was wrong. I mean, they know that scientists can send a satellite from the Earth. They can shoot it up into the actual uh, uh, atmosphere and then out of our atmosphere into space. And they are so good at calculating the way that satellite goes that it can stay in orbit the whole time, or if they send a, a, a rocket to Mars, they, will, they know that if they shoot it in this direction, the, the rocket will eventually hit Mars as it comes around. Um, extraordinary calculations. The, the amount of calculations you have to do to get that exactly right uh, is, uh, is unbelievable. They did a really good job at that. But when they started looking at the universe as a whole, and they looked at the way the stars were moving around, and they saw the, the, the galaxies and the way they moved, there was something wrong. Things weren't adding up to their calculations. In fact, there were, they were pretty big problems. Things were so far off uh, that the number um, uh, that they were expecting for all these, uh, these movements in the universe that um, a number of theories, I started proposing a number of theories to explain the problem. And one of these, the one that's, that you will hear about the most, uh, that explains the problem in their calculations, and this is the, this is the thing, they, they can't, the numbers don't add up for them, all right? So, and that's a problem for scientists. When numbers don't add up, 
there's there's something dramatically wrong. Things things go to panic stations. They they propose the the most popular uh, theory at the moment is this idea of uh, of uh, dark matter and dark energy. Don't worry about what they are just at the moment. But they, when they started looking at this as a proposal, and most of them actually believe in this now, they've accepted it. They, when they look at the entire universe and everything that they can measure and detect, they now believe that only 5% of all the things that are out there in the universe are things that we can actually see and detect. Only 5%. That 95% of what's out there in the universe and around us is undetectable. They can't see it. And they call these things dark energy or dark matter and dark matter. So what are these mysterious things that are spread throughout the entire universe? What is this stuff? Well, no one actually knows. And I mean, no one knows. They can't see it. They can't catch it. They can't measure it. They have no idea what it looks like, how it works, how it interacts, what it does. Yet, almost every scientist says they believe it exists. Because the numbers just don't add up. And the things aren't moving the, the way they're supposed to. These same scientists who believe in this invisible universe, which is around 20 times bigger than our visible one, so forget about all the planets and stars and galaxies that you can see. That's all only 5%. 95%, which is almost 20% uh, or 20 times bigger, um, they say uh, they can't see, they can't detect, but yet they believe in it. They'll insist, those same people will insist in the same sentence that believing in heaven, which you also can't see, is something foolish. Now, hang on a minute. Can't two play at that game? I remember a verse right at the beginning of the Bible that simply says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. So scientists will tell you quite categorically that there is no spiritual realm because they have no proof of it. But they will believe in an existence which is invisible, that can't be measured and influences the world that we live in. I hate to break it to them, but they may be talking about the same thing the Bible has taught for thousands of years. This dark or invisible universe may be heaven itself. They may be right. They may have stumbled on heaven by accident. Now, I'm only saying maybe because their calculations may change in the coming days and years. The science, scientists are continually having to fill in holes in their, in their theories and holes for their calculations. Religion is also said to be a search for the truth, a deeper truth, an underlying truth that gives reason and purpose to life. But in a world full of contradictory religions, how can religion be said to contain the truth? Because if all the religions are contradicting each other, surely truth doesn't contradict. Truth is by definition exclusive, what we call exclusive. If something is true, then it can't be false at the same time. If something is blue, it can't be red at the same time. So that's what's called exclusive. And so it is with religion. All religions can't be true if they contradict each other. When Jesus was uh, taken and brought before Pilate, before his crucifixion, before he was convicted and, uh, 
and uh, treated as a common criminal, um, they entered into a discussion with each other. So turn with me to John chapter 18 this morning. John chapter 18, as we have a look at that discussion, because that discussion involved this topic called truth. John chapter 18, verse 33 to 38. It says there in John chapter 18, verse 33, And Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Pilate ends the discussion, or ends this particular passage, with a flippant remark. But a very important question. What is truth? He said it in a flippant way, as if to, to write Jesus off. And he did it in the background. Now, if you understand, uh, he's, he's probably frustration because they, they dragged him out of bed, I think, essentially, for this, uh, for this thing. He probably was in a bad mood already. But this is, has to be seen in the backdrop of the, of the Roman Empire and the multiple gods that were worshipped, uh, both within the empire and without Romans had a multiplicity of gods and every different nation had different gods that they worship as well. And here is Jesus accused of disturbing the peace and calling himself the king of the Jews. They did that because they, they, they told Pilate that Jesus was announcing himself the king of the Jews because they wanted to incriminate Jesus as if he was trying to cause an uprising against the Roman Empire. But Jesus was a king. So when he answered, when he asked him, are you really a king of the Jews? And he said, well, I'm the king of somewhere, but it's not here. When Pilate was considering this conversation and he has a, a Jewish man in front of him who's been accused of calling himself the king of the Jews, <clears throat> Pilate in the back of his mind got this idea that the Jews are a backwater people. Insignificant. When you compare them to the might and the advancement of the Roman Empire, here you have this little tiny nation uh, that's really a backward nation. They've got no army of their own. They've got no, no great architecture. They've got no, I mean, apart from the temple. But they've got the advancement of the Roman Empire compared to them <clears throat> was uh, extraordinary. He looks at this, uh, this, this man and he thinks, oh, he probably pities him. And when he asked him, well, what do you call yourself? Are you really the, the king of the Jews? And Jesus plainly says to Pilate that he's a king, but his kingdom is not of this world. <clears throat> he then tells Pilate that the reason he came into this world from his realm, from his kingdom, was to testify the truth. 
And that means bearing witness, to testify in a court of something that you know to be true. And so Pilate just dismisses him. He dismisses Jesus' statement as nonsense and that Jesus is no real threat to Rome's rule. He's saying, I've got no problem with this guy. I don't see him as a threat or any problem. Yet Pilate probably missed the greatest opportunity of his life to know the truth. Some opportunities that are lost in life have eternal consequences. Sometimes you only get one chance and Pilate missed it. What is truth? What is truth? Well, according to Jesus, it's him. According to Jesus, he claimed to be the truth. In every realm of thought, in every scientific discipline, there is one commonly held belief, and that is that truth is objective, as I've shared with you already. If something is true, it can't be false. If something is red, it can't be blue. If something is black, it can't be white. When someone like Isaac, like Isaac Newton discovered the existence of the law of gravity, he formulated that, that law in a workable sort of fashion. He put it down into a mathematical formula. And that law states that when you have two bodies of a certain mass or weight, they will automatically have an attraction to each other, depending on how big they are and how far apart they are. So the further apart they are, the less that force is. The closer they are, the, the, the greater that force is, the, the more they, they want to come together. And the larger they are, the greater that uh, force is as well. This law holds true for every person in this world, in all parts of the universe. <clears throat> it means that this law is objective. It means it's not dependent on how a person's feeling on the day, whether this law works, or how they're looking at it, or which angle they're looking at it from. The results are always going to be the same. In fact, it's the why we all, the reason we all walk on the ground. And people aren't flying around all over the place because the law of gravity works for everyone just the same. And this law is also used to explain how planets revolve around the sun, how stars revolve around galaxies and all the other myriad of things, how the moon goes around the earth. It's, it's very uh, useful to understand that. But that's not the only law. There are hundreds of laws that operate throughout this universe. Laws that are also included in chemistry, in biology, and all the other disciplines. If these laws were not objective, in other words, if they're not true all the time, then there'd be no guarantee that the next plane you catch would get off the ground, that the next time you get in your car that, that it can go anywhere, or that the next Panadol you take might not kill you. <clears throat> Yet, you would have heard, as well as I, on many, many occasions, when we enter into discussion about religion, they'll say, all right, now, when it comes to science, when it comes to people, when it comes to all these different things that we see in the world, everything is objective truth. Everything is, it's real. It's only when we come to the realm of religion and the belief in a greater power do people all of a sudden throw away the idea of what's called objective truth. They throw it out that window and they, and they shift to this idea that belief that your truth can be different to my truth and it's all okay. This is called subjective truth. 
And it's like, if I'm a, if I'm a Christian and someone else is a Muslim, then hey, even though we have different beliefs, it's okay. Because it's only relative. Um, let me put this in the nicest possible term. This is a load of absolute nonsense. Absolute nonsense. And the only result of this is to keep people in the dark because what people automatically do is they run to this fallback position when they're threatened by someone else's belief system. For if the belief in a higher power or a belief in a God or God were only subjective, if it means it doesn't matter which God you believe in or which pathways you believe in or which religious books you believe in or, or teachings you believe in, if, that was, if it really didn't matter, then how can a subjective God, how can a God who's different, doesn't matter who you are, you can choose him to, to suit yourself, how can that being who's subjective create all the laws of nature and all the things in science that are all objective? How can a subjective God create an objective universe? It's foolishness. The foolishness of the assertion is, uh, is, is beyond uh, argument. Something subjective cannot create something objective, and that's undeniably true. Both God and the universe must be objective. So atheists and, uh, and philosophers have pushed this belief in the hope that religious people, people who, who believe in a God, <clears throat> don't get into religious arguments. Because in their mind, most of the wars and the problems of the world stem from people's ignorance of believing in religious things and arguing about them all the time. And their argument is, or, or what they, they teach is, if religious people don't agree, then they really shouldn't argue because religious truth is only really relative. You just, whatever you believe is okay for you, whatever the other person believes is okay for them, don't discuss it. That's why people say, don't bring up religion. My truth, they say, doesn't have to be your truth. So people become afraid to talk about their truth. But in the face of all this, in the face of this permeating idea that, that is has saturated the Western world, the faith that we preach, the faith that we teach, purports, uh, purports to be objective truth. That is real truth. And furthermore, Jesus tells us in John 17, 17, thy word is truth. In other words, God's word, the Bible, is absolutely true. And God's truth dictates every other truth, including all scientific, historic, moral and philosophical. The Bible teaches and Jesus confirms that the words contained in the pages of his word are absolutely true. And Jesus, who this book is all about, claims to be the truth. Now, some people find these statements very disturbing. It's scary. They become scared of spiritual truth that is absolutely true. You know why people are scared of spiritual truth? Because in this world... If there are laws of nature or natural truth, I have to conform my life to it. 
I can't just walk off the top balcony of my house and expect not to fall on the ground and break a leg or worse. I have to obey the law of gravity or I have to conform my life to that law and all the other laws that take place. If I don't drink, I die. If I don't breathe, I die. If I speed at 300 kilometers an hour, if your car will do it, down the freeway and hit a pole, I'm dead. My life needs to conform to every law around that I see, including the laws of the state. The laws don't conform themselves to me. But if we say that there is absolute spiritual truth, that means that I have to conform my life to that as well. If I admit that, if I admit that it's not about what you believe is okay for you and what I believe is okay for me, um, if I admit that, that there is an absolute truth, then all of a sudden I have to stop playing this game of pretend God, that somehow I create the spiritual laws in my life, making my own rules as I go along, rules and laws that suit me. And the same goes for the atheist. The atheist says there is no God. Not because of the evidence. There is plenty of evidence. But because he will have to give an account of himself to God if he admits that he exists. In a world where science is held supreme and religion must be in subservience or servitude to science, which is where we, what we see around us, the Christian comes along and declares that the Bible is God's perfect revelation to mankind, the ultimate truth, and every other truth, every other law, whether it's by thought or by experimentation, um, must align itself to God's truth. Truth, Jesus declared, was to be found in him. The type of truth, the, the most reliable and ultimate truth that you can trust your eternal soul to now that's a big that's a big uh, test if you believe in god and you believe in an eternal soul then who you put who you trust your soul to is the one you really really believe and furthermore this truth is found in the word of god which claims to be truth over and over and over again it is unique among all the religious texts of this world for many, many reasons. Let me share some of those with you this morning. The Bible is the only religious book among all the different religions of the world that has been written over a period of almost 1,500 years. The Bible has about 40 different authors, not just one. I mean, Muhammad wrote his by himself. The Vedas were written by the Hindus were written by a number of people, but they're all different and all going in different directions. The Bible is one book written over a huge amount of time, written by 40 different authors from all walks of life. Some of them shepherds, some of them statesmen, others prophets, others historians. And it all perfectly agrees. It's been perfectly preserved and harmonious from Genesis 1-1 to the end of the book of Revelation. <clears throat> it has as its background history. And the historical existence are contained within its pages of Middle Eastern, European, African cultures that have existed 
and approvable and many which still exist today, which testify of its authenticity. The fact that Jesus came before a fellow called Pilate was disputed for a number of years because they didn't have any evidence of a fellow called Pilate in Judea. And yet they found evidence for that later on. You see, when Jesus walked the earth, uh, there was a Roman Empire. There was a Jewish nation. There was a king called Herod. There was a temple in Jerusalem. And all the other myriad of uh, evidences show that this is an historical provable fact. In fact, the fact that we have four Gospels are four different testimonies from four different people. The Bible is a unique historical document. It's the only book that starts with the creation of the world and finishes with the end. The Bible also explains the things we see around us. It fully explains the suffering that we see in this world. The fact that we have a coronavirus killing so many people. The fact that we have, um, it, it shows the death and decay around us. It tells us the reason for that. And the reason is us. The Bible clearly says that God made us in a perfect environment. We chose to walk away from God. We rejected his provision for our lives. And we said, no, we're going to do it on our own. And we've made it, we've ruined this thing right royally. We fell from grace and chose to go our own way. Even now, this world rejects God's offer of life. And then when things go wrong, they blame him as well. As if somehow he owes us. The Bible doesn't shy away from suffering at all. You know, some people say that, oh, you know, what's, there's a problem with suffering, that, the, that, the, that somehow the suffering we see in the world somehow should be a reason that, that you should not believe in God or in a perfect God. That is absolute garbage. Suffering is, is not a reason not to believe in God. In fact, it's a reason to believe in God more. Because the Bible explains what, where suffering actually came from. And the God of the Bible is the God who says, I'm going to come in the midst of that, of your suffering with you. I'm going to experience it with you. And I'm going to give you the hope that you need in the midst of that suffering. I'm going to show you the love that you need, despite your rejection of me. The Bible explains man's inherent nature to sin. It explains very clearly what we see around us. Why every country in this world needs a police force. It's because people are sinners. And by nature, they, they fall into sin. It's the reason that we see people with addictions in life. Why we're so prone to them. Why people use drugs, alcohol and other things to escape their brief existence. It explains to us what our meaning is. Why we're here, what our relationship is to God, and how we can receive that redemption that we genuinely need. Let's look at how the Bible explains this fallen nature of man and how uh, man most often relates to God. Romans chapter 1, verse 25. 
If you have that in your Bibles, turn to there just for a, a moment with me. And that the beginning uh, chapters, a couple of chapters of Roman, really explain a lot about mankind and our very nature. And Romans chapter 1 verse 25 says, Who changed, this is us, mankind, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. In turning our backs on God, what we did is we began to serve and worship the creature, the things that God made. And those things include ourselves. So we fell very quickly from worshipping the one true God and we looked then because God made us with this inherent desire to worship, we began finding other things to worship. And hey, I'm going to worship the things that I can see. It's the same reason that when Moses or while Moses was on a mountain for 40 days, uh, before the end of 40 days and the people all they had to do was just wait for him to come down. They decided that oh, nah, God, uh, Moses is gone. Finished. He's probably dead. Um, what are we going to do? Well, why don't we just make a golden calf? Why don't we make something we can see at least? And we'll start worshipping that. And the amazing thing about that story is that they called that golden calf Jehovah. They called it the name of God. They called it God. But they needed something to look at with their eyes. And this is the problem with mankind. That we turned from worshipping the invisible God, the God who creates and permeates all of his creation, to worshipping things that we can just see. That's why people have worshipped everything under the sun, including the sun. They've worshipped they've worshipped trees. They worship um, uh, rocks. They worship uh, the planets. They worship everything you can, you, you can think of. People have found ways to worship them. And the Bible tells us that we exchange the truth of God for a lie. That somehow, worshipping the things that we can see is somehow a substitute for him. And we've done that because it suits us. Mankind worships the sun because, hey, you know what? The sun's really not going to do anything for me anyway. But the sun is there. Hey, it comes up every day. I'm going to rely on that. But then when I worship the sun, I can pretty much make up whatever rules and regulations that I like with respect to the sun because the sun's never told me one thing to follow. And it's the same thing with every other thing that the, that the people worship in this world. And there are plenty of gods in this world. There are plenty of made up gods. There are plenty of not only the, thing, the people worship the things they see, they make up gods that just uh, uh, suit themselves and are very convenient. But of all the gods in the world, the God of the Bible is the only God who has clearly intervened in human history. He's intervened in, in, in many, many ways with Abraham and his descendants in the history of the Jewish people, their rescue from Egypt, their influence and the inter their intersection with the world's greatest empires, including Assyria and Babylon and Greece and Rome and Persia. Somehow that little tiny nation that that Pilate thought was insignificant and, and, uh, and pointless, and he was probably dying to get out of there because they were, they were a trouble to him. Um, that little tiny nation, that little group of people that it still exists today, somehow has managed to interact with the largest empires the world has ever known. And somehow they're still floating around. 
And somehow, from that small group of people came a man who has influenced this world like no other. There is no other religious leader that has influenced the world like Jesus Christ. In fact, our whole Western civilization has its foundations on what he taught. Even our calendar, the fact we we have a seven-day working week, or seven, sorry, a seven-day week, our language, our art, our science, and so on and so on. It's influenced this world in an extraordinary way. But there are those in our culture, those who don't like this idea of Christianity and, and our faith being foundational to, to society, um, are doing their absolute best to try to rewrite history and to remove it as much as they possibly can. An atheist will often make the claim that um, if, they, if God would just show them a sign, they would believe. If God, for example, would write something in the sky, something as awesome as writing something in the sky, then you know, they would believe it they, if they saw it with their own eyes. In other words, every one of them wants to see something with their own eyes in order to believe it. But if one of them gets a message and believes, they won't believe what he believed, even though he's changed his tune. And there are plenty of atheists that have become Christians because of God's manifestation to them. So this claim is, is fake anyway. And it's not new because pe- people in Jesus' day asked for a sign to prove his authority as well. But the atheists have a problem with the people of Jesus' day didn't. At least the people in Jesus' day, um, when they asked him for a sign, were looking for proof, at least were open to the idea that if Jesus performed a miracle, hey, if I see it, I'll probably believe it. But atheists don't believe in miracles. So even if God does a miracle, they won't believe it anyway. They'll try and find some other excuse for it. If Jesus walks on water, they'll probably say, oh, there was probably a pathway under the water. If Moses leads his people through the Red Sea, oh, no, that was probably just a, a, small, a small lake or a, or a river or a whatever else it is. But it couldn't, it couldn't have made two walls of water. No, no, that's it. It's impossible. Doesn't matter what God does, how many times he does it, they will find an excuse not to believe it. Even someone being resurrected from the dead. But the Bible tells us that the truth of God's existence is written in the stars themselves, in the laws of nature, in the perfect balance of countless details which allow our life to exist on earth and the intelligence to appreciate this beauty that we see around us. That message is written beautifully and eloquently in the structure of our DNA, proteins and the enzymes that all work together in such a complicated fashion. You know, when, when scientists are looking at this coronavirus and they look at that thing and they say, how does it work? How hard is it for them to actually work out how it works? They, they, they are trying desperately to try and find a, a cure for it and a vaccine for it. It's not an easy job. Viruses, bacteria, the human body. In fact, all of life is so complicated because the structure of the DNA, because the the information that's in that DNA is 
unbelievably complicated. DNA is the most sophisticated and condensed code ever created. The silicon chips that are running your computer right now can't hold anywhere near the information that DNA holds. DNA is, some people will, will try and put it that DNA is only just some chemistry, some, some chemical uh, thing. It's not. DNA is a language with letters. A language with letters, with millions and millions of words. The existence of God is written in amazing detail in a language that encodes our very existence. The morals we have as human beings also declare the existence of God. Morals, which really can't be explained by the survival of the fittest or by evolution. Why in the, why in the world would evolution lead to people wanting to worship? Why in the world would evolution lead to people wanting to believe in an afterlife? Why in the world would evolution lead to people demanding justice and what's right? Why do people feel guilty when they've done something wrong? Where does that guilt come from? Not from evolution. Only the Bible can explain it. And that's called a conscience. The truth of the matter is, if that any sane person was to walk along a beach... And they looked on the ground, and on that ground, they saw a number of small stones aligned in a particular fashion that formed the words or the sentence, this is proof that God exists. You wouldn't look at that and say, oh, that was just a, a random act of the waves that pushed the rocks into the precise, um, precise formation of letters. With a, uh, with a sentence of, uh, of, what, six words. You would, no one would ever in their right mind say that. They would say someone went there and lined up those letters. Where are they? They'd look for that person. Yet, when people look at, and scientists look at DNA, and then they look at the absolute perfect balance of all the laws of nature and the elements in nature... You have thousands and thousands and thousands of words formed, declaring not only that there is a, an infinitely powerful and intelligent God who exists, but it tells you what type of God he is. All the evidence in science points to a God described in the Bible, not in other faiths. And I could spend months talking to you about that. These are just a taste. Romans chapter 1 verse 20, if you turn there in your Bibles, Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says that man is without excuse. It says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Okay, so, so that they are without excuse. The Bible says in the end, no one is with an excuse. No one has an excuse because when you look at the things that are made, they are made in such a fashion. They are made with such intricacy. When you look at life and the, the balances that we see around us with life, when you look at this world and you look at the stars, you look at the clockwork nature of everything and how it works, it all points to the existence 
of a powerful God, an eternal powerful God, and a God who is ultimately in control. There is no excuse for anyone to deny his existence. According to the Bible, it is the existence of one true and omnipotent God who defines all of truth and all that it entails. He is the one who not only created the universe, but also the one who designed and set every law of the universe in motion. He designed the law and then he puts it into motion. That's why scientists can actually create mathematical formulas for all these laws. Because God wrote the mathematical formula in the first place. When you look at the laws of gravity, of electromagnetism, of light, of matter, of life, of chemistry, of all the different laws that exist in this universe, the intricate laws that gave us all these wonderful elements. And if you've ever looked at a periodic table and how all those different chemicals work together and how they're structured and how they interact to create, um, to create different types of things. Look at water, for instance. Water is, is the combination of, uh, of hydrogen and oxygen. If you had no water, if hydrogen did not combine the same way with oxygen as it did, there'd be no water, there'd be no life. Look at all the things that you and I need in order to continue to survive. We need iron in our system. Our, our blood requires iron in order to circulate oxygen through it. Take away iron, just one little element out of, out of all those elements. Take away, you're, you don't exist. Take away Hydrogen, you don't exist. Take away oxygen, you don't exist. Take away carbon, you don't exist. All those elements somehow work perfectly together to allow life to exist and flourish. All these things work together. All these laws work together in, in an absolute harmonious way. And they allow us to breathe, to move, to think, to eat, to procreate, to live. When you look at the balanced forces of nature that allow the atoms to exist for the earth to revolve around the sun, it gives us warmth, it gives us day, night, it gives us seasons, it gives the existence of all the variety of life that we see in the oceans and on the land from the North Pole to the South. Life is unique and it's unique here on this planet and as much as scientists look for it, they can't find life anywhere else. Yes, there are other planets around this universe. And they have found hundreds of them, hundreds. But not one of them has life. Only one has life. And it's here. Why do we see such perfection in, this, in, this, uh, in the way this world is balanced? Because God made it that way. We are unique. We are self-aware. We perceive that there is a purpose to life. We perceive an incredible order to all the things in the universe that allows and gives life, gives opportunity for life to exist. The universe and every physicist and scientist knows it full well, exists on an absolute knife edge. It's perfectly balanced. If you took a knife and tried to balance it on your table, you would have a hard time doing that. But yet here we see the universe balanced. Perfectly balanced, like a knife just sitting there. No one would ever say that a knife standing on its edge uh, got there by chance. 
But yet here scientists say that all of these things all lined up, all perfectly aligned. It's like a knife standing on a knife edge and they say, oh, it's, uh, oh, it was just by chance it got like that. Don't believe it. The overwhelming odds that there is an intelligent and powerful creator are firmly with us, are firmly described in God's word. In addition to this, the Bible tells us that God, this ultimate, this this perfect God, this God who is all-powerful and all-knowing, who knows the end from the beginning, sends a messenger into this world and it's himself. Who wants to reveal the truth to us. He wants the world not to live in darkness. He wants to show us how wonderful he is because he wants us in his life. Jesus did not come and say that he came with the truth. He did not say as Muhammad declared that certain truth was delivered to him or as Buddha taught that he eventually arrived at the truth after, after failing and trying. No, Jesus goes beyond all their claims, beyond the claims of any other uh, religious leader and says that he is the truth. You know, while, while, while the Buddhist's own writings tell of Buddha who had to be trained by other people on how to meditate. And then he tried and failed to achieve nirvana by fasting and doing all these different things. And it wasn't until he got to 80 years of age after trying and failing and doing all these different things that apparently he reached nirvana. Here we have Jesus at 12 years of age, untrained, confounding the teachers and scholars of his day when he enters the temple asking them the most profound questions that they had ever heard. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 46. Luke chapter 2, verse 46. Explains that Jesus is an entirely different person to every other person who has ever existed. And it just starts when, when he was young. And we don't have a lot of information of Jesus when he was young. But you know what? This tells us a lot. Luke 2, 46 says, And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple. This is a 12-year-old Jesus sitting in the midst of the doctors. That's all the most learned men. Both hearing them and asking them questions. And all this verse, and all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. They were flabbergasted. What that is this kid know all this stuff? How is he asking us such such deep questions? Jesus grew up his entire life not having gone to public school. There was no public school in those days. He didn't go to university. He didn't go to college. He didn't do higher learning. But he grew up as a simple carpenter within his family. But when his time came and he began to reveal himself to the world and his mission started... Which, for the, which lasted those three years, the people who heard him were freaking out. They, they couldn't understand, where does this guy get all this knowledge? Didn't he just come from Nazareth? I mean, he, there's no university in Nazareth. There's no Nazareth University that's well known in this world. Did he go there? Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29 It says there, and it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The scribes were their most learned people. 
The scribes were saying, oh, I think it could be this or I think it could be that. Jesus comes along saying, let me tell you exactly what it's like. This was a carpenter up to this stage, a carpenter. Even when he went back to his hometown, and this is what, this is what rings true. And this is what makes this whole thing um, verif- verifiable. Jesus goes back to his own hometown at a certain point. Okay, So these are the people who knew him, had seen him grow up, knew, knew about his family and his, uh, and his brothers and sisters. And then he goes back and begins to teach them. Turn to Matthew chapter 13, verse 53 with me. Matthew chapter 13, verse 53, because their testimony is very important. When we're looking at who Jesus was as the ultimate source of truth. Matthew chapter 13, verse 53 says, And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. So he left. Verse 54 says, And when he came into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. This is his own country. This is his own hometown. Okay, He taught them in their synagogue in so much that they were, and your Bible should have the word, astonished. And said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Where did this man get this knowledge? Look at verse 55. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? I mean, these people knew him. He grew up with them, but he didn't reveal himself until 30 years of age. And when he went back, he taught them in their own synagogue. And they said, where did Jesus get all this stuff? We know his family. He didn't go to university. The truth of the matter is that Jesus didn't have to be taught as Buddha did. He didn't have to be given the truth as Muhammad did. And while the Hindu gods, all 33 million of them apparently, uh, argue amongst each other, teach different things, fight and even kill each other as gods and have almost no historical evidence of their existence, here stands Jesus. And let me close to you with one verse. Let me close with this verse. John chapter 8 verse 31. And verse 32, this Jesus, who says he is the truth, who stands separate from every other religious leader that's ever been known to mankind, who says that the word that he's given to us and preserved for us is absolute truth and can be trusted. This Jesus, who died next week, and we'll look at this, uh, his, resurrection, his death and resurrection next week, this Jesus who's the only man who have ever, who's ever gone into death and by his, own, by his own power has come back and risen again, never to die again. This Jesus, who calls himself the Son of God, says, Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, And the truth shall make you free. If you continue in my word, he says, then you're my disciples and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. My challenge to you this morning, or my question to you is, do you have freedom 
Do you have freedom this morning? Because most of the world does not. Most of the world is locked in a system where they've created a God of their own making, are fashioned after their own selves, and they believe that that gives them freedom. But the truth of the matter is that that gives you about as much freedom as pretending that gravity doesn't exist or pretending that the laws of nature don't apply to you. So on a spiritual level, every person who creates a God for themselves is headed over a cliff. And the laws of that fall are as pertinent as the laws of, nat- uh, laws, laws of gravity if you threw yourself off a balcony. The Bible tells us that the, the whole world has, this, has rejected God and is headed into a direction of destruction. Not because God wants them to go there, because they have chosen it. Because they refuse to acknowledge the existence of the one true God. My question is, do you have this freedom this morning? The freedom of knowing the truth. Because if you know the truth, you won't throw yourself off a balcony thinking that you're going you're gonna to be fine when you hit the ground. Truth is, that freedom is knowing truth so you can adjust your life to it and you can live. Truth is that thing that allows us to live. If we all lived in a fantasy land, we would not live for very long. So the question is this morning, have you received that truth? Because Jesus says he is that truth and he's willing to give himself to you, to make himself accessible to you. He gave his life for you. And the Bible says that your own sin cannot be paid by your own efforts, despite your best efforts, despite what you think you might do. Jesus says that he's paid them for you. He paid the penalty of those sins for you and he offers himself in a relationship with you. If you would simply humble yourself, come to him as a child, repent of your foolishness, of making a God of your own choice, of sinning as a result of that, reject that, that, that life and turn to him for salvation. Do you want freedom this morning? Then Jesus offers it to you. Will you receive that truth and be free? Don't be like Pilate who missed his opportunity. Don't be like Pilate who wasted this opportunity of the Son of God right in front of him because the Son of God is right in front of you right now. And he's asking you, will you receive him? Take that step toward Jesus. And I guarantee he'll take 10 steps towards you. Receive the truth and be free. God bless you all. Thank you for your time. I pray that God gives you an absolute blessing during this week. Turn to him. Rely on him. Trust in him and wait upon him for his salvation. And he will never let you down. God bless you all. Thank you again.